ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. Well, we might as well record something here, given that Matt is sitting in his attic and I'm sitting in my spare room. Where are you? Is that, am I right, Matt? Uh, yeah, well, I'm not actually in the loft. I'm in the, you can probably tell from the acoustics, I'm in the kitchen stroke uh, dining room and uh, the Wi-Fi is doing what my Wi-Fi does all the time, which is sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. So has it ever occurred to you to get everything upgraded? Well, yeah, obviously, but you know, the only times I really need this Wi-Fi are when I'm when we when we're doing this because, you know, I'm not downloading massive movies and my days of playing, you know, FIFA on the Xbox have long gone. So, um so yeah, so, so it's only for these like 1-hour sections where we we record something and I obviously have problems with my Wi-Fi. I think we also need to talk about your backdrop because that has changed since the last time uh, we recorded this. And obviously, uh, people aren't able to see your backdrop, but it, ha- but it has changed, and you need to tell us what it is. Oh, well, it's, it's a very dull thing, but just before we, we speak to Claire Powell, I have uh, wallpaper, new wallpaper, each of which it consists of rows and rows and rows of seven-inch singles on black vinyl, uh, which have been altered so that you cannot make out, obviously for copyright reasons, you can't tell which is a CBS single, which is a Fontana single, which is a Philips single. You can't tell which bands recorded it, but it looks fine and it looks groovy. Anyway, fortunately, I can't see yeah, anything cool. in your kitchen. No, no, no. All you'd be able to see is blank wall and uh, some art that my wife has put up that I am not really. I mean, uh, you know, obviously. Does she know you don't like the art in the kitchen? I have no clue. No, no, I, I, I love the art. It's great. It's just, you know, it could be anything, frankly. Um, you don't like the art in the kitchen. The okay. Well, let's hope she doesn't download the podcast. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, well, fingers crossed that everyone's Wi-Fi is working fantastically. And let's welcome to our Books of the Year podcast, Claire Powell, equipped with her debut novel, which is called At the Table. Hello, Claire. Hello, Simon. Thank you for having me. Hi, Matt. Hey, Claire. That was very unwelcoming, Matt. <laughs> anyway, so can I just ask, so actually, before we go any further, Matt, describe the cover because it's a, oh, it's, yes. it's one of those covers that will stand out and across the bookshop, you will be able to see this book and go, there you go, that's Claire Powell's book. Describe this, Matt. 
Absolutely. When when this arrived through the post, I tweeted a picture of it because it is it's the best cover of a book uh, I've seen in a long time. Basically, it's so simple, and it's uh, a woman sat in front of a cake, a nice big strawberry cream cake, and her head is buried in the cake. And it's basically, if someone had told you, you've got to eat this strawberry cream cake without using your hands, it would look like that. It would also look like that if... It, it basically, I have in my head that the, the woman in the picture is has just said the words, oh, for the love of... And then, splat, has put her head right yeah. into the cake. Although the cake isn't disturbed in any way. It's just she's gone in without disturbing the cake. But anyway, at the table in, in very neon pink at the top, uh, Claire Powell's name at the bottom, and some very nice words from Marianne Keyes. Was this always going to be the cover? Was this the obvious choice when they were presented to you? So I only had one cover presented to me, and it was this. Um, and I had I had nothing to do with it. It's designed by somebody called Nico Taylor, um, who works at Little Brown. And when I first got it, I saw it on my phone, and I was like, <laughs> it wasn't at all what I expected or imagined. Um, but I knew that I had a reaction to it. And so I thought that was probably a good thing because if I had a reaction to it, then other people would. And it was definitely stand out. And yeah, we basically, there were a few tweaks to it, but otherwise um, that's what, that's what we went with. I never, I never saw any other alternatives. And in your mind, Claire, has she put her head in the cake voluntarily or has she been, yeah. has she been pushed there? I, I see it. I see it voluntarily. My boyfriend described it as an FML cover, um, which I probably won't say what that abbreviation means, but it's that kind of... Um, I, so I see it, yeah, that she has just gone, ugh, and dunked her head into it, dunked her face in. I'm just, I'm struggling here. Uh, forget the F bit. What does the, what does the ML stand for? Can My you? life. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. All right. I'm just... uh, (laughs) Yes, there you go. There you go. Now I know. Yeah. Well, it's very good. Anyway, so... uh, And it it does definitely work. So uh, this is your your debut novel. It came out on March 31st. Can I just ask you, before we get into the details about this family that you've written about and all the food and drink, how is it feeling to you? Because the book has been out a couple of weeks. Are Are you still excited? Is it still rather strange to have these characters now out in the open and being discussed by everybody? Totally strange, really strange, Um, but also lovely. Um, I've loved, I mean, the whole whole experience has been strange from the point of view of it's all basically happened in the pandemic. And so I'm still sat in my sort of home office talking on a computer and so much has been going on on email or through my phone. Um, But... Certainly, like getting uh, texts and emails and stuff from friends and family and strangers as well who have read the book and tell me something about the characters that they loved or oh, it's yeah, that's been amazing. So, do you do you have uh, another job? Are you a full time writer now? I'm not a full time writer. I'm a freelance copywriter. Uh, well, okay. I think it's just a matter of time, Claire. To be honest, uh, when you'll be you know best selling author, Claire Powell, full time. Book a year, that kind of thing. Anyway, enough preamble. Tell us about tell us about the Maguires. Tell us about this uh, this family that you introduce us to. Yeah, so um, the Maguire family are this pretty ordinary family from Bromley in southeast London. Um, parents Jerry and Linda, who have been married for over thirty years and have this quite 
sort of traditional setup. He runs a construction firm and she's been stay at home mum for most of uh, her children's life. But now she's a part time administrative assistant and their children, Nicole and Jamie, um, who are in their 30s. So Nicole is 35, single, a very headstrong, quite brash woman who has a high powered job in tech and is partial to a glass of wine or five yet and Jamie her younger brother who's this mild-mannered English teacher and he's engaged to a girl called Lucy who's uh, the same girlfriend that he's had since university so they've been together for I think 10 years Um, and the novel opens with the family gathering for this Mother's Day lunch at the Delaunay restaurant which is this lovely fancy restaurant in London and immediately uh, tensions and sort of alliances within the family become apparent and during the meal Linda and Jerry announce that they have actually separated and that Jerry has moved into a flat in Camberwell. Um, This is a huge shock to the children who while they probably didn't think of their parents as absolutely perfect they certainly thought that they were happy and content and would be together for the rest of their lives um the rest of the novel is basically about the fallout from this and how the characters respond to it and how their relationships change because of it not just with each other but also with other people in their life um and it spans a year it's sort of structured in seasons and it's also every chapter has features some kind of meal or drinks or a party um hence the at the table they're not literally sat around a table but um there is some sort of gathering and social can you can you just explain how that idea emerged claire so that you've introduced us to the family and they're fantastically drawn and the family dynamics are uh, are terrific but the idea of shaping a book around food and drink where where did that come from um so Funnily enough, I was I was on a course in 2019. I was actually doing a counselling course. Um, and one of the tasks that we had to do was we had to, I think it, I think it was like, is it like a collage. It was a very sort of um, basic bit of homework. But you had to look at uh, your culture. You had to do a, a collage of your culture. And I found that really difficult to do because I was like, I don't really know what my culture is. Probably if you're from the dominant culture, you kind of can't see it from the outside. It was like, okay, football, my family are into football. And then I thought, oh, restaurants. We often meet in restaurants. We meet for drinks. We go to pubs. That's that's how I've sort of grown up is this, um, yeah, going out a lot basically being a Londoner not just with my family but socially as well um a lot of my life revolves around um meeting friends in restaurants or bars and I guess because I was doing counselling I was already thinking a lot about families because if you've ever looked into therapy or had therapy yourself a lot is to do with the family and I had the idea, I think then in sort of summer 2019, that I might, um, yeah, that that every chapter might be set in a restaurant because I like the idea of having these characters all together. In actual fact, in the first 
version, I was going to be a lot more strict and I was going to sort of name the restaurant at the start of each chapter. But in that kind of became a bit too restrictive and I let that go and just, um, it, it, yeah, just, just made it more of a casual or subtle meeting around drinks and meals. I think I think you made the right call there, Claire, because it, it is it's it is more subtle and it's a lot looser, and I think it works because of that. Because you go from, as you mentioned, you know, the sort of fancy restaurant meal, and then sometimes it's literally just someone having a Twix, and that counts yeah. as 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 the meal. I I, I want to talk to you a bit more about um about the families. So um, there's a there's a wedding uh, right in the middle of the or towards the end of the book, I suppose. Uh, and Jamie, you've mentioned um, him and his um, uh, fiance Lucy. Uh, they're getting married, and the mum Linda is at this wedding, and we see, we see the wedding through her eyes. And th- this was the sequence that has um, stuck in my mind since I put the book down, which is Linda's at this wedding, and and clearly other things have been going on, and she is watching the dance floor and um she sees other families getting up and you know doing that thing that everyone does at weddings where they dance to you know naff songs that kind of thing having fun they're all beckoning her to come on the dance floor and she's like no 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 i can't because my my feet or my shoes or whatever but she I, i can't remember exactly how you say this but she 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 looks at all these um all these families just having effortless fun doing just seeming to you know love it and have not a care in the world and it struck me as that is how we do see other people's families we just think our family oh it's a nightmare but you look at everyone else's families and they all seem to be you know wandering through life without a care in the world and it's all fine and it felt to me that that was absolutely central to this book was am I right on that or 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 have I got the wrong end of the stick? No, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that you bring out that bit because I like that bit of it. And I, and I feel sometimes L- Linda can come across as quite a cold, um, as quite a cold person in the book, or she, she doesn't find it that easy to um, be warm. She kind of tries her best. She likes buying things for people, but um, that, that was the chance to sort of be in her head and have that moment of her, yeah, looking at others and she sort of thinks that others have found it very easy to, I think she says, to love and be loved and that she has always felt like it's difficult. And I think that's something that probably, well, I hope, you know, people can relate to. One is tempted to think it might be a little bit autobiographical. I wonder whether the, how much of your family has has wandered into these relationships. It's not autobiographical um, and it's really not my family. And yet I think there are definitely certain aspects of some of the characters that are probably familiar to people that know me that could say, oh, that's a bit like your dad or that's a bit like your brother, Um, but not enough for it to be hugely obvious. Because I, I was struck by uh, something you, you've written um, outside of this book. Was it for Vogue? I think something like that. Yeah. You were talking about the lunches that you had with your dad, um, mm. where a lot of wine was consumed. I particularly like, in, in this article, Matt, you'll like this particularly. Tell us about your your first experience of a restaurant and going out for a meal with your grandparents. Because 
the, the idea of salad, I think, is something that will appeal to Matt. Tell us about that. <laughs> so, yeah, so I wrote a piece for Vogue and it's about uh, restaurants. It's obviously linked to the novel. And um, I was thinking about how, so I've got these two nephews now. I've got, I've got more than two, but these two have, uh, they will spend their birthdays in sort of burger and lobster or not, not because they choose to, but that's where their parents want to go with them. And so they do all the kind of, you know, nice popular restaurants in town and stuff. And I was thinking how, God, when we were kids, we never did anything like that. And in fact, the only sort of restaurant I went to was Pizza Hut and ours was Pizza Hut on Eltham High Street. And my nan and granddad would take me. And what I loved about it was the salad bar and the fact that you could call this bowl of creamy, potato salad coleslaw sweet corn <laughs> pasta bacon bits a salad, a salad. and <laughs> for years I was like well I like the salads at Pizza Hut you know I thought I was being really healthy <laughs> until someone said to me that the salad at Pizza Hut is not healthy at all um <laughs> those yeah. bacon bits that you sprinkle can make any salad fantastic can't they yes where have they gone I need them yeah so th- so the lunches with your dad did they did they feed their way into I don't know particularly Nicole's side of the story yeah 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 um yeah the lunches with my dad and like I say in the in the book um uh, sorry in the Vogue article I also started a company in my 20s or sorry started working at a company in my 20s that had a very boozy culture um so that's something that I recognize and was part of without me ever being Nicole um it's definitely not um definitely not fiber rich foods or prebiotics are the number one gut healthy thing you're not eating enough of according to the USDA more than 90% of women and 97% of men do not meet their recommended intakes for dietary fiber Supergut makes getting this essential nutrient back into your diet easy and delicious with award-winning foods that are clinically proven to boost gut health and all that comes with it. Go to Supergut.com and use code Ethan to save 20% on your first order. That's S-U-P-E-R-G-U-T dot com, code Ethan, to save 20% on your first order. I do want to ask you about, um, so the book is clearly set in 2018 because we've got the World Cup going on and Deli Ali scoring for England. Oh boy, that seems a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but, but indeed, but you, you just said now that you, you started work on this book in, in March, two years ago, so March 2020. So was this, was this a lockdown book for you, Claire? It was a lockdown book. It was very much a lockdown book, yeah. I Like I said, I, had, I did have the idea in 2019, but because I was copywriting, um, I just found I just didn't really have the time to sit down. I, I mean, I just wasn't making that time or I wasn't, yeah, uh, kind of sitting down and getting it getting it on the page, basically. And then lockdown came and pretty much all my freelance work just disappeared you know the work that I had lined up for March well you we will we'll find out if you can get it in April then April May you know and I felt like everybody so sort of um 
miserable and I felt really useless because my boyfriend was working from home and he was, you know, getting used to doing Zoom meetings and and I felt like, oh, God, I'm not doing anything. And so I I just became really disciplined at uh, sitting down every morning and writing this book, which was also, I suppose, a really nice escape as well. And it was nice to remember what it was like to go out and see family and friends and socialise. See, what... Well, it- I am fascinated by this. Um, that I think we're obviously just at the very beginning of how the pandemic and lockdown has affected ordinary life, and you see it being reflected in like the morning show on uh, on Apple Television, just beginning to ha- incorporate a drama with the pandemic right in the middle. And although this this isn't a pandemic book, it clearly is born out of that feeling of missing out of missing out going to the pub going to the cafe, going to the restaurant. And as you said, Claire, so much of life happens around food and drink. And it's fine spending a bit of time at home with your family. But yeah. what you want to do is to book a restaurant, go to a cafe, sit there with people you don't know, people watch, look at the table over there. There's a couple there. They haven't said a word to each other. There's someone else over there. He looks absolutely furious. And um, and lockdown just took this away. So in a way, this is sort of, this is, this is very much a product of the last couple of years. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree with that. And I don't even know, you know, it's always, I, I, I don't know that I would have ever actually been able to write it had, had we not gone into lockdown. One, because I'm not sure that I would have made the time for myself to write it. But also, I don't know that I would have had the urge to write it as much and felt as much like I wanted to go into this world if I was kind of also fitting in dinners out with friends or you know my weekends being busy seeing people um the fact that I had nothing to do allowed me to sort of live in my imaginary world a bit I suppose but all, but all human life is here isn't it if, if you revolve around food and drink in the same way that religions have food and drink right at the heart of it so all of our lives seem to be as Matt says you know it could be eating a Twix or sharing a cup of tea uh, with a friend, uh, the atmosphere that you're absorbing, the performance that you're giving, it's all there over a table with food and drink. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I meant about the, when I said, that I, you know, this, whatever it was, this collage I did about culture, that food, you know, I know that in some cultures, food is really important and um, the, the food that they cook and the sort of family coming together. And in my culture, it's not necessarily this thing of, going over to my mum's house every Saturday and her cooking this huge meal and you know us all gathering like that but instead it's about meeting in pubs and restaurants and bars and uh, or having takeaways at home and yeah eating eating off your lap um on the sofa but so yeah so much um so much of socializing and seeing people and connecting with people is sort of happens around food and drink. We should we should say, Claire, that this is a really funny book because I don't know whether we've said that so far, but it's, it is worth saying. It's really funny. And I think a, a strength for me for it is that you've managed to capture how people talk 
And that seems like a really sort of basic thing to get right. But but bluntly, so many books... It's a bit like, you know, books being funny. So many of them trying to be funny, and very few are. And and this one is funny, and it, and it absolutely nails it as far as, as far as dialogue's concerned. I remember we had um, uh, Lee Child on the podcast, and he's been on a few times. And, and a point he made is, look, there's no point in trying to make um, uh, dialogue or authentic because it never will be. It will always, on the page, look staged. But I think with your with your books, I was reading it absolutely works. And and there, there were a number of times where you have like a somebody will say something, and the person they're talking to will repeat it back to them because that's what we do in conversation. It happens all the time. When you see it on the page, you're like, uh, really? Were they just going to repeat the repeat the words back to them? But of course, that's exactly how it works. Was was that something that you worked hard at, at, at being able to? I'm going to make sure that I get, get make this sound right to to people reading it. Um, thank you for saying that. And I feel like dialogue has always been probably my biggest strength as a writer. So actually, it felt like the easiest part. I'm really bad at describing a room or describing something like a, like often when I'm writing, I'll be like, describe garden here describe describe what the scene looks like and I'll have to come back and do that because I'm not it, I don't know I, I find that a bit more difficult whereas often I'll actually start with dialogue almost like writing a play I suppose and get the kind of that get the scene down get the flow of it down the way that I see it and can hear it um, and then go back and fill in what I suppose are the more uh, prose literature sort of descriptions or or even internal stuff what's going on in people's heads but it i think it's also if you'll allow me it's also your observation clara the little family details um that you've clearly picked up either from your family and everyone else's family and when you're out in the cafes and out in in the restaurants so for example when just one tiny example uh, this family their whatsapp group is called birthday barbecue which uh, which was like years and years ago and I, and I suddenly realized that my wider family whatsapp group is based on a, a birthday from 2017 you know and it's still it's still called it's still called isle of white 2017 that's still the name that's still the name of the whatsapp uh, group and and i think that people are going to be just they're just small little details but people will be nodding going yep that's me yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that. I suppose that's just little things that, yeah, I notice or have, yeah, observed. And the more you write, the more you'll be noticing them. I, I mentioned before it was your your debut book, Claire. What has been uh, the most painful part of this whole experience? Oh God, it's been like there's been so many highs and lows. And when I say lows, they're more the anxiety and stress. So. You, like finding an agent, waiting for agents to respond, thinking no agent is ever going to respond, waiting for a publisher to respond, thinking, oh, my God, I've put in so much work to this and what if I can't publish it? Um, that 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 was probably the most difficult part. And then in terms of the writing of the book, um, in a way it was actually sort of, uh, giving up control of it and sort of handing it over to the publisher and being like okay that's I'm I'm done now there's nothing else I can do with it and just sort of seeing what what they're going to do how they're going to market it or package it up and that I found quite strange and difficult at times okay and so and 
With that in mind, then, what was the most thrilling and fabulous moment of the whole process? Um, again, I'm going to say getting the agent was thrilling, getting the publisher was thrilling, and then more recently having sort of endorsements from writers that I admire, um, and and even now just getting messages from people who have read it. Like that's it keeps you know it, it keeps changing. The next thing that becomes this like oh my god that's so lovely uh yeah well you can um take my word for the i mean you might have noticed this already it ruins having a book out published ruins the bookshop experience uh, for you because when you go into a bookshop you will either see lots of your book in which case you'll think why haven't they sold or you'll go into a bookshop and see (laughs) none of your book and you think well where are they why haven't they why have so the only solution is not to go into bookshops Maybe I'm just revealing too much about myself. Have you have you noticed any of that, Claire? Is it too early for that? No, no, I've absolutely noticed it. I went up to London on a Friday. I had COVID when the book came out, so I couldn't um, I couldn't leave the house. Basically, I was self isolating, and so last week I was kind of free to go up to town. And the first bookshop I went into, I'm like looking at the tables, thinking, right, where is it? It's just come out. And of course, it, it wasn't there, and I had to go and search for it and find the spine, um, you know, tucked away in fiction, and felt, oh, why is it here? What can we do? How can it? <laughs> so yeah, I know. And other other people have said to me, yeah, just don't. It completely, Waterstones will never be the same again. Family and friends need to do that. You know, the, go in, find your book, <laughs> tucked away, and take it out and put it prominently. Uh, again, I'm revealing too much yeah. about how my family operates. <laughs> Put it very prominently on the bestseller shelf. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. So, Claire, what? So now that the book is out there, and we're both giving it a very large thumbs up. Fantastic characters, very very funny and moving as well. Um, are you writing on the next one? I imagine you are. I am uh, very early days, but yes, I've started a new one and. Um, too early to talk about it because I feel like I'll say it aloud and then I'll go off the idea but um my plan is to get a really rubbish quick draft done by the summer uh, and then go back and kind of edit it and look at it again well we'll look forward to that because at the table by Claire Powell um is a fantastic uh read I also recommended it to my 20 something daughter Claire because I, th- I think this will appeal across the generations. Let me just ask Matt. Well, I, uh, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think this will appeal? Because it feels, it doesn't feel yeah. to me like, in quotes, a female book or an old person's book or a young person's book, even though the cover is slightly pink. Um, what do you think, Matt? No, no, no. I, I, I'd absolutely agree. I went out for a um, uh, meal with friends at the weekend. And I was, it was one of the first things I was saying to him. I was cracking my phone out and saying, have a look at this. Look at this cover. Isn't it hilarious? The book's just as funny inside. You should definitely be reading this. So, yeah, no, it's, it's going to appeal, yeah, across. But it's definitely not just a, a female book, whatever that is. It's, it's, it's definitely for, for everyone. Excellent. Well, there you go. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Claire Powell's book is at the table. Um, there will be another chat with Claire in which she will go through our rigorous Q&A Uh, session very shortly but for the moment Claire Powell debut novel at the table Claire thank you very much for talking to us thank you
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.